Hello, this is episode 18 of The Hate Crime Files, a podcast about crimes typically involving violence, motivated by prejudice based on race, religion, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, or other grounds. I'm your host, Terrence Heath. This podcast covers disturbing events and may not be suitable for everyone. It is not recommended for young children. Listener discretion is advised. Before getting into the main story for this episode, let's take a look at some hate crime-related news. On Wednesday, February 26th, the U.S. House of Representatives passed the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act by a vote of 410 to 4. The bill, named for the black teenager whose murder spurred the civil rights movement, would make lynching a federal hate crime punishable by up to life imprisonment. Now let's dive into our main story. What qualifies an ordinary crime as a hate crime? Does the perpetrator need to have stated their prejudice or bias outright? We live in an internet age where killers like Charleston shooter Dylan Roof compose lengthy manifestos detailing their views and the goals they hope to achieve with their actions in hopes of also attaining some level of fame or infamy. After killing Timothy Kaufman in New York City, which we covered in episode 13, James Jackson told police he thought blacks were inferior. He said he had traveled from Baltimore to New York City to kill a black man because he wanted to inspire other white men to make a, quote, declaration of total war on the Negro race. In my opinion, he said, blacks are inferior people. And he thought we should just preserve the best people and get rid of all the dead weight. Jackson even directed police to his 2000 word personal manifesto, spelling out his beliefs and goals saying, this will probably be clear on my USB drive. There's some documentation that kind of explains my thought process a little more. George Sodini, who targeted women in a misogynist mass shooting covered in episode 16, kept a 4,610 word web diary spelling out his anger and frustration over perceived rejections by women and his plan for vengeance. Sodini fully intended for his writings to be discovered and widely published due to the media attention his actions would garner. Is it enough for the perpetrator to belong to and participate in groups organized around a specific bias or prejudice? Both Roof and Jackson visited sites like the neo-Nazi website Daily Stormer. Robert Bowers, who killed 11 in the Tree of Life synagogue shooting we covered in episode 8, visited some of the darkest corners of the alt-right internet. He was a regular poster on Gab, a small social network that claimed to 
Defend Individual Liberty and Free Expression Online, started by conservative programmer Andrew Torba. Early members included the right-wing provocateur Milo Yiannopoulos and Andrew Anglin, the founder of the neo-Nazi Daily Stormer website, and well-known white nationalist Richard Spencer. Bowers regularly liked and shared content by white nationalists and alt-right influencers. Does the perpetrator need to have used racial, anti-Semitic, homophobic, or misogynist slurs, or made their motives known in the commission of a violent act before he shot and killed nine congregants of Charleston's historically black Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, Dylan Roof said to them, you rape our women and you're taking over our country and you have to go. Does the perpetrator need to say anything at all? Does the possession of material and images related to extremist ideology suffice to suggest the mindset or intent of a person committing the crime? These and other questions were raised in the wake of an incident that took place in College Park, Maryland in May 2017 and is still playing out in the courts and the state legislature. Richard Collins III was a 23-year-old black male who lived in Owings, Maryland. On his Facebook page, Collins wrote that he was an heiress god of war at the United States Army, who had previously worked as a groundskeeper at the Chesapeake Hills Golf Club and a former average Joe at Walmart. He also wrote that he had studied rocket science and brain surgery at university, but that was a joke. Collins attended Annapolis Area Christian School for his last two years of high school. Students and staff remembered him as a quiet and well-mannered, athletic, and team-oriented student. He played soccer and lacrosse and was devoutly religious. You always had the sense that he was well-raised. He was very respectful. He seemed to put effort into his studies, said Don Wiley, a dean at Annapolis Area Christian. He was gentlemanly and took care of his business. You got the sense the parents had sent him on a trajectory to become an officer and a gentleman. Collins went on to attend business school at Bowie State University, a historically black college in Maryland. After he moved on to college, he would sometimes be seen in his ROTC fatigues, picking his younger sister up after school. The military had always been a big part of Collins' life. His grandfather, Richard W. Collins Sr., served in a field artillery unit in the Korean War. His father, Richard W. Collins Jr., retired from the Navy after serving 25 years as an air traffic controller with postings in places including Vietnam and Somalia. Richard Collins III, who had earned a business administration degree at Bowie State, was airborne qualified and on his way to being an intelligence officer. 
The Baltimore Sun reported that Collins had been in ROTC in college and had just been commissioned as a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army's Intelligence Division on Thursday, May 18th. He was preparing for deployment to the demilitarized zone between North Korea and South Korea. Montrose Robinson, a retired Army lieutenant colonel and the ROTC's recruiting operations officer at Bowie State, had known Collins since shortly after he sent her an email inquiring about an ROTC scholarship late in 2012. It did not take him long to be approved. He was a star, a model cadet, Robinson said. He excelled in physical training, and he was an excellent student. He wanted to be a general officer, and he had what it would take to be a general. Collins appeared to be on the threshold of a promising future. He was set to graduate and would have walked across the stage to accept his diploma on Tuesday, May 23rd. But Collins would never get to celebrate his graduation. On May 19th, Collins was looking to spend a Friday night out with friends. He sent a text to his ROTC group asking if anyone was free and interested in going to College Park for a night out. But many of his fellow cadets were out training, so Collins elected to make the trip by himself. Also out that night was Sean Urbanski, a 22-year-old white male from Severna Park, Maryland. Urbanski attended Severna Park High School, where he made the honor roll in his junior year, and from which he graduated in 2013. According to his LinkedIn profile, Urbanski worked in customer service at the Severna Park Lanes Bowling Alley from 2012 to 2015 or 16. After high school, Urbanski enrolled in the University of Maryland Engineering School, but left in 2014. He graduated from Anne Arundel Community College in 2016 with an associate degree in transfer studies with a focus in biology, and he returned to the University of Maryland. He was a member of the class of 2017, but Urbanski was scheduled to graduate in 2018 with a degree in kinesiology. Both Collins and Urbanski spent the night of May 20th drinking with friends in various College Park bars. They were unknown to one another, but an encounter that night would leave one of them dead. At 3 a.m., Collins was standing at a bus stop with two friends, an Asian female and a white male, who were University of Maryland students. Shuttles had stopped running, so the three friends waited at a bus stop for an Uber ride to arrive. What happened next was captured by surveillance camera and recalled by witnesses. At the bus stop, Urbanski stood and watched Colin talking with the others for some time. He left, but later returned and confronted the group. As Collins and his friends stood waiting for their ride, Urbanski approached them, yelling and screaming. He appeared to be intoxicated. Urbanski approached Collins and said, Step left, 
Step left if you know what's good for you. Collins stood with his hands in his pockets, looking puzzled, and said, No. When Collins refused, Urbanski stabbed him in the chest, severing Collins' pulmonary artery in what the Baltimore Sun described as an incoherent and intoxicated attack. Collins fell to the ground, and Urbanski fled as Collins' friends attempted to provide medical care and called 911. Responding officers and medics performed CPR at the scene, and Collins was taken to Prince George's County Shock Trauma, where he was pronounced dead. Police found Urbanski shortly afterward on Regent's Drive, sitting on a bus stop bench about 50 feet from the scene of the attack. Witnesses, including Collins' friends, identified him as the attacker, and police found a folding knife in his pocket. Urbanski was held without bail on three charges, first-degree murder, second-degree murder, and first-degree assault. He pleaded not guilty. In a statement on the school's website, Bowie State University President Mickey Burnham said the university was in mourning over the tragic loss of life. Our first thoughts of condolence go to the family for this tremendous loss of a son who had the promise of a bright future. Our prayers of concern also extend to those within the Bowie State community as we try to cope with this tragic loss of life, Burnham said. As we struggle to deal with our emotions, let's find appropriate ways to express our sorrow and hope for justice. Let's remember our words and actions have the power to heal and the power to hurt. Let's strive to use our actions to bring comfort and peace. When tragedies happen, they can either bring communities together or tear them apart, Burnham said. I sincerely hope that in the days to come, the Bowie State University community can find a way to come together, lift each other up, and remember the one who we've lost. Dr. Artie D. Travis, Vice President of Student Affairs for the campus, said in a news conference that it was a sad day for Bowie State University. Hate has no place in America, he said. Hate has no place on a college campus where young minds are coming together to try to change the world. They can't change the world if they're not here. It is an alleged hate crime. I wish we could call on the leaders of this nation to do whatever they can to eliminate all messages of hate. On Monday, May 22nd, Collins was honored with a candlelight vigil in Bowie State University's Samuel L. Myers Auditorium. Lieutenant Colonel Joel Thomas told the hundreds of mourners in attendance that when he remembers Collins, he would first think of his character. Character is one of the qualities most valued in a leader, Thomas said, and Collins had that. He was trustworthy, honest, and dependable. Thomas broke down in tears as he finished his remarks. I ask you as we move forward, let's cry, let's remember, and laugh. Let's keep on working, he told the crowd. 
and let's celebrate Richard by being great every day. On May 23rd, Collins was honored at the Bowie State University commencement ceremony. School officials held a moment of silence for Collins during the commencement exercises. They also draped what would have been his graduation gown over a front row seat that was left empty in his remembrance. University President Mikhail Burnham posthumously conferred Collins' degree and made a statement on behalf of the school from which Collins would have graduated. Richard Collins Jr. accepted his son's degree. On May 24th, in an email to the campus community, University of Maryland College Park President Wallace Lowe announced a series of actions intended to help fight hate in the wake of Collins' murder. Lowe said the university would create a rapid response team to provide support for students and members of the community who have been the subject of a hate incident. He also said the university would allocate $100,000 to support diversity education efforts for the campus. The university would also produce an annual report on all hate bias incidents on campus, Lowe said in this email to the campus community. The Athletics Council would also consider measures to prevent hate bias in the university's athletic scene. We all want a culture that rejects hate and forges a more perfect union in our nation's rich multicultural and multi-ethnic diversity, Lowe wrote. But these are fraught times on our campus, across the nation, and the world. It is on all of us to stand up and fight the racism, extremism, and hate that are cancers in our body politic. On June 1st, 2017, Lowe announced further steps to increase campus unity in the aftermath of Collins' death. Lowe said the university would be implementing a new pledge of respect and unity for UMD students that will reaffirm our core values of respect for human dignity, diversity, inclusion, and academic freedom. The university would also seek to revise its code of student conduct to strengthen sanctions for hate and bias incidents, Lowe said. On May 26, about 100 friends and family gathered to remember Collins at a ceremony held at the First Baptist Church of Glen Arden. Today I'm going to challenge you all to love, said Crystal Godfrey, a cousin. I'm not talking about that hippie love. I'm talking about that fierce, unrelenting love. I'm talking about a love that protects and stands up for what is right. Godfrey and her two sisters recalled growing up with Collins, a brother figure who was the ringleader of fun and pranks, and his sister Robin. Members of the Bowie State University ROTC acted as pallbearers. Collins' parents, Don M. and Richard Collins, Jr., were the last to look in the back of the hearse before its doors were shut. Don Collins held the ceremonially folded flag that had flown over the U.S. Capitol. Richard Collins, Jr. 
wearing a faded baseball cap with the army insignia, stood at attention and saluted his son. Following Collins' murder, Representative Anthony Brown introduced a resolution co-sponsored by 55 members of Congress condemning the killing as racially motivated and pointing to a rise in extremist activity on the nation's college campuses. The NAACP, Brown, and Representative Steny Hoyer of Maryland, the second highest-ranking Democrat in the House of Representatives, called on the Trump administration to condemn the attack. The president had spoken out against racial intolerance in interviews on Twitter, in official statements, and perhaps most notably in an address to a joint session of Congress in February. But critics said the president's efforts were sporadic and at times came off as superficial. They didn't match the racist and anti-immigrant passions his often combative presidential campaign roused in some of his supporters. When individuals occupying our nation's highest office spew hate-filled rhetoric and unapologetically associate with and staff the White House with white supremacists, our nation drinks from the same poisonous well, said NAACP Chairman Leon W. Russell. Despite Collins' military pedigree, Trump said nothing about his murder. For some minority students, Collins' murder was the culmination of multiple incidents that increased racial tension on campus in the past year. In April, a noose was found hanging in the kitchen of the Phi Kappa Tau House on Fraternity Row, an incident which University President Lowe denounced as despicable in an official statement. Following Collins' murder, some students and members of the campus community took to Twitter with the hashtag FearTheTurtle to share experiences of racism, discrimination, and hate at the university. Also, in April, members of the since-disbanded group Terps for Trump chalked messages calling for the deportation of Dreamers and the construction of a southern border wall. Lowe tweeted, Students took to the sidewalk to exchange ideas and engage in debate today. Keep the conversation going. Some students later washed away the pro-Trump messages and replaced them with counter-chalking. Collins' murder happened during a period when white nationalist groups were targeting college campuses following the 2016 presidential election. UMD's Diamondback student newspaper reported that the College Park campus was among those targeted. The UMD College Park campus has a full-time student body of 35,815 students, which is 46.8% white, 14% Asian, 11.4% Black or African American, 8.18% Hispanic or Latino, 3.66% two or more races, and 0.09% American Indian or Alaskan Native, and 0.6% Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islanders. 
The Diamondback reported on May 24, 2017, that there had been at least five incidents in which white nationalist posters were found on the College Park campus. The posters directed readers to the website of American Vanguard, a white supremacist group formed in 2016. A man who claimed to be the founder of the group told the Washington Post it had about 100 members across the country, including four in the College Park area and two on the UMD campus. I've seen my hometown flooded with immigrants, my family struggle financially, and Marxist garbage taught in our schools, he said in a message to the Post. I've been waiting for a real American nationalist group for years, but I came to the realization that I'd have to do it myself. The Southern Poverty Law Center stated that American Vanguard, based in Southern California, urges white men to take a stand against globalist traitors who are destroying your race and heritage through open borders, affirmative action, and Marxist political correctness. The Anti-Defamation League stated that the American Vanguard website boasted of an ongoing northern propaganda campaign that consisted of placing posters on college campuses. The campaign was intentionally directed at young people. The university issued a general response following reports of the posters in December 2016. As an institution of higher education, the University of Maryland is committed to the core values of diversity and inclusiveness and do not condone hateful language, the statement read. Even in difficult situations, we honor the right to freedom of speech. When more posters were found in March 2017, Lowe denounced them in a statement saying, we stand against all forms of ignorance and hate. There were 21 total reports to university police of hate bias incidents or hate crimes in 2015 and 2016, more than double the total in 2013 and 2014, according to police reports. There had been five incidents reported so far in 2017. On May 1st, a coalition of 25 students held a sit-in at the main administration building to demand that university officials take action in response to incidents threatening minority students on campus. The group called for an immediate response to hate speech from the university, diversity training for all SGA-recognized Greek organizations, and the creation of an external review board to investigate hate and bias incidents that occurred on campus. In the course of their investigation, law enforcement officials discovered that Urbanski belonged to a Facebook group called Alt-Reich Nation. Though the group's page was taken down shortly after Collins' murder, an archived snapshot showed that it was created in March 2017 and had about 1,150 members. The description for the group read, Controversial Humor Memes. Several posts displayed racist memes and offensive content about women. Posts on the group's main page made derogatory references to blacks and Jews. Many references were sexual. 
University of Maryland Campus Police Chief David Mitchell said in a news conference, when I looked at the information that's contained on that website, suffice it to say it's despicable. It shows extreme bias against women, Latinos, members of the Jewish faith, and especially African Americans. He added, which brings up questions as to the motive in this case, knowing that we will continue to look for digital evidence among other items of evidentiary value. The FBI joined the investigation and worked to determine if it was a hate crime. The special agent in charge of the Maryland and Delaware FBI division, Gabriel Johnson, said it isn't uncommon for the FBI to get involved early on when a motive is possibly a crime based on hate. Mitchell decided to call the FBI after learning of Urbanski's membership in the Facebook group. He also said officials were looking into whether he was in similar groups elsewhere. Urbanski had also had an account on 9gag.com, a meme-sharing website. He rarely posted, but often upvoted and commented on racist and violent posts consistent with alt-right beliefs and messages. One post Urbanski liked was titled, Trump isn't lying that Hispanics are taking the land away and that times are bad. The post included several graphics claiming the white race was dying at the hands of minorities. Urbanski commented, uh-oh, here come the Hispanics saying it was their land first. Urbanski liked another post that said leftists were murderers who were freely attacking our race in the media who promote third-world immigration, white guilt propaganda, and openly promoting us to breed away. Another post Urbanski upvoted read, I got arrested for punching this guy at a New Year's Eve party. When you hear an Arab counting down from 10, your instincts kick in. Law enforcement officials, with the assistance of the FBI, found memes and images stored on Urbanski's phone expressing violent hostility towards African Americans and other racist material. Urbanski had saved images of at least seven racist memes between Christmas Day 2016 and April 18, 2017, including images about Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown Jr., two images appeared to be saved about one month before Collins' murder, and a new image appeared on the phone about once a month. After Collins' murder, Urbanski's social media accounts exploded with comments. Welby Bergone, a high school classmate of Urbanski's, posted a response to another response from a friend of Urbanski's. F. Yeah, Sean, the other men, posted over a photo of a screen capture of a screenshot released by the police. That's what happens when N-words try to get frosty with an OG, talk shit, and get stabbed, lol. Urbanski replied. Bergone then replied with an image of a crab holding a knife, saying, You mess with crabbo, you get stabbo. Bergone worked in the communications department of the Anne Arundel Police. The comment violated the department's professional standards, and as a result, Bergone was suspended. 
In March 2019, news outlets reported that the FBI would not recommend hate crime charges against Urbanski. The agency did not find enough evidence to suggest that federal hate crime charges were warranted. However, Urbanski still faced hate crime charges in Prince George's County, and local prosecutors continued to pursue hate crime charges at the state level after the FBI opted not to pursue federal hate crime charges. Maryland has a separate statute on hate crimes, and it does not affect our position, said Denise Roberts, a spokeswoman for the Prince George's County State's Attorney's Office. We are still moving forward. After his indictment, Urbanski's trial was delayed several times. The trial was initially set to start in January 2018, but Urbanski's lawyers requested two delays, pushing the trial back to January 2019, claiming they had a great deal of video footage to review and, in light of motions, to bar the contents of Urbanski's phone as evidence and to split the murder and hate crime trials. State prosecutors requested a third delay, pushing the trial back to July 2019, due to a personnel turnover in the Prince George's County State Attorney's Office. In July 2019, after a judge ruled that Urbanski would face hate crime charges, the defense team requested a fourth delay until December 2019, citing their need for more time to review evidence from Urbanski's phone more fully. The defense previously won a battle to stop the prosecution from calling an expert on Alt-Reich Nation. However, they lost their request to exclude that evidence entirely. On December 9, 2019, about 100 potential jurors packed an Upper Marlboro courtroom as jury selection in Urbanski's murder trial began. Judge Lawrence Hill asked the jury pool several questions about race, including whether they believed people who told racist jokes and sent racist memes were racist. A majority of the potential jurors stood in the affirmative. Hill also asked the jurors about alcoholism and alcohol use. Urbanski was drunk at the time of the killing, and his lawyers were reportedly using that as part of his defense. On December 11, 2019, the trial of Sean Urbanski and the murder of Richard Collins III finally got underway. The Collins family released a statement saying that they were glad the trial was beginning after numerous delays. It's been two and a half years since our son was brutally murdered days before his college graduation. He'd just been commissioned as a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army and was devoted to a life of service to his country. Richard's future was bright, and we couldn't be prouder of all he accomplished over the course of his short life. The delays in this case have prolonged our pain and anguish over his senseless murder. Nothing will bring our son back, but we're glad the trial is finally starting, and hope the criminal justice system will provide a measure of closure by bringing to justice the man responsible for Richard's death to the fullest extent of the law. We will have no further comment until the trial's conclusion and ask that you respect our privacy during this difficult time. 
prosecutors opened the trial telling jurors that Urbanski had poisoned his mind with racist imagery and offensive humor starting in 2016. They argued that when he saw newly commissioned Army 2nd Lieutenant Collins waiting at the bus stop with a white man and an Asian woman, Urbanski carried out a premeditated murder targeting Collins. Stifled gasps were heard when the prosecution shared an image of a racist meme and slur found on Urbanski's phone that described the pleasure of seeing a black person stuffed into a wood chipper. These images were on his phone, in his mind, every day. It's poison, said Deputy State's Attorney Jason Abbott. Getting out in front of the defense team's argument, Abbott said that alcohol empowered Urbanski to act on his hatred of black people. Beer muscles, liquid courage, that's what he had, the prosecutor said. He walked up to him and targeted him for no reason other than him being a black man. He was the only black man at that bus stop at that time, Abbott said. Urbanski's lawyers argued that there was no evidence of a motive. They told jurors Urbanski was so drunk that he didn't even know what he did. And while he might have and he might have been upset that his friends were celebrating graduation that evening and he had fallen a year behind. The hate crime allegation was speculation, they argued, and the crime was about place, not race. On December 17, 2019, Judge Lawrence Hill Jr. agreed to throw out a hate crime charge against Urbanski before the jury began deliberation. The judge ruled that the prosecution did not meet their legal burden of showing that racial hatred was the motivation for Bansi's attack on Collins. Hill's ruling left the jury to decide between the two murder charges. Their decision would depend on whether they found that the murder of Richard Collins III was a premeditated intentional act of violent hate or an alcohol-fueled attack by a man quote, out of his mind, drunk. Prosecuting attorney Jonathan Church said Urbanski already brandished a three-inch folding knife when he emerged from a wooded area and approached Collins at the bus stop. He had it ready because he knew in his mind what he was going to do, Church said of the knife. Prosecutors said Urbanski stood off to the side at the bus stop and watched Colin talking with his friends for some time. Urbanski left but later returned and confronted the group. Abbott said he then bypassed a white man and an Asian woman before attacking Collins, who kept his hands in his pockets. The judge allowed prosecutors to present evidence that Urbanski had saved at least six photographs of racist memes on his cell phone and liked a group on Facebook called Alt-Reich Nation. Church described some of the memes during closing arguments. Defense attorneys conceded that Urbanski committed a crime in killing Collins. They urged jurors to convict Urbanski of second-degree murder, which carried a maximum prison sentence of 30 years instead of first-degree murder. 
defense attorneys argued that Urbanski never advocated for violence against black people or issued a hateful manifesto. Defense attorney John M. McKenna said during closing arguments, Sean was stupid drunk, and the only poison in his veins was the alcohol. McKenna said an expert witness for the defense concluded that Urbanski's blood alcohol level was more than twice and up to three times the legal limit at the time of the killing. The defense lawyer argued his client was too drunk to have the intent or premeditation necessary to support a first-degree murder conviction. On December 18, 2019, the jury found Urbanski guilty of murder. The jury deliberated for about two hours before convicting him of first-degree murder. Urbanski, now 24, faces a maximum sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. He is scheduled to be sentenced on April 16, 2020. The Collins family issued a statement after the verdict. Two and a half years after Richard's murder, this verdict has reaffirmed one of our nation's most fundamental values. That every American, regardless of race, religion, or sexual orientation, is entitled to live freely and safely, they said. With help from Maryland State Senators Thomas V. Miller and Douglas J. Peters, the Collins family started the second lieutenant Richard W. Collins III Foundation in Collins' memory. The foundation provides support to ROTC cadets at Maryland's historically black colleges and universities, including Collins' alma mater, Bowie State University, as well as Morgan State University, Coppin State University, and the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. Collins' parents have turned their energies towards advocating to strengthen Maryland's hate crime laws. On February 11, 2020, Don and Richard Collins spoke at a press conference in Annapolis and gave emotional testimony to lawmakers in support of proposed hate crime legislation. Don and Richard Collins Jr. joined with Democratic lawmakers in Annapolis to show their support for House Bill 917 and Senate Bill 606. The bills would broaden the state's hate crime law, which requires prosecutors to prove hate was the sole reason for a crime. The measures are sponsored by Senator Joanne C. Benson, a Democrat of District 24 in Landover, and Delegate C.T. Wilson, a Democrat from Charles County called the second Lieutenant Richard Collins the third law, the legislation seeks to charge and prosecute a person motivated either in whole or in part by another person's or group's race, color, religious beliefs, sexual orientation, gender, disability, or national origin, or because another person or group is homeless. I beseech the state of Maryland to correct this so that no other mother has to feel the daily pain I feel.
said Richard's mother, Dawn Collins. You cannot imagine the shock and dismay that my husband and I felt, Collins said, pausing to compose herself, when the judge dismissed the hate crime charge. It brought back images of the day when those two state troopers came to my home at seven o'clock in the morning to tell us my son was murdered. Hearing that was like my son being murdered again, Collins said in her testimony to the House Judiciary Committee. We couldn't believe the bar had been set so high in the state of Maryland. Everything involved in this is difficult. Nothing is easy, Richard Collins Jr. said. We are encouraged by the positive movement to change the law for the better. Meredith Wiesel, Senior Associate and Regional Director of the Anti-Defamation League in the Northwest, said Maryland's current statute gives hate crime defenders an easy defense. Requiring prosecutors to prove that hate or bias was the sole motivating factor underlining a crime is an extremely high standard that gives hate crime offenders an easy defense, said Weasel. It's a pretty simple bill, but it's so meaningful. Prince George's County State's Attorney Aisha Braveboy told the panel. In seeking justice, we use the tools that you provide us, the law, so that we can seek justice for families. When the law is not sufficient to provide justice, we believe it is our duty to ask for changes. Karen Baines Dunning, the interim president of the Southern Poverty Law Center of Montgomery, Alabama, said hate groups in Maryland had decreased, but violent acts and other crimes increased. The group plans to release its national hate map report in about a month. It's time for us to act. There are way more of us than there are of those who spout hate, said Baines Dunning, a native of Montgomery County, Maryland, who flew up from Alabama to testify on the legislation. We are honored to stand here with the Collins family, with their courage and their persistence to make sure that none of us ever forgets the name of Second Lieutenant Richard Collins III. The Hate Crime Files podcast is researched, written, produced, and hosted by Terrence Heath. That's me. Thanks for listening. And to all my listeners and subscribers, thanks again for your support. I'll be back with another episode in two weeks. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, please subscribe, tell your friends and family about it, and consider leaving a positive review at iTunes Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, be careful out there and be good to each other.